0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly dilly to... don't. Come <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on. Into goal, and goal, goal, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Aguero. hello welcome to the modern soccer coach podcast my name is Gary Curnine joining us for this episode is Nick Montgomery he is a former premier league player with Sheffield United 12 years there and is current assistant coach at Central Coast Mariners in Australia so we've done a lot of podcasts on a lot of different types of cultures but we've never covered Australia so my good friend Annie Thompson reached out and connected me with Nick, he's got a great story and a brilliant insight on coaches like Neil Warnock that he's worked with and his own coaching journey where he's worked alongside Usain Bolt, yes he's worked alongside Usain Bolt. Not many have had this experience so you will enjoy listening to this one. Let me know what you think, at Gary on Instagram, at Gary on Twitter This podcast is brought to you by the Modern Soccer Coach Community platform. We've got our second webinar coming up next Monday where we will cover breaking down a low block. One of my pet peeves is the post-game interview with coaches from all levels who accuse the other team of parking the bus and not attempting to win the game. So I wanted to challenge coaches to take a little closer look at what they can do to help Develop teams and individual players to excel against deep defensive blocks, compact areas, a lot of clips from coach paint, a lot of tactical analysis, a lot of session ideas. We're going to go through that. So that's next Monday. The webinars are all free to Modern Soccer Coach community platform members. Easy to register. Modernsoccercoach.com slash community. And then you get a free 14-day trial to check it out. After that, it's only $6 a month and you get access to All the monthly webinars, future and past, along with weekly content and discussions and 250 plus video training exercises on there as well. Please check it out. It's where I do a lot of my tactical analysis work these days. I just uploaded a weekly tactical tutorial on defending the counterattack like Atletico Madrid. So that clip that went viral during the Champions League game of all the Atletico players sprinting back. Is that just a case of having players who can run back aggressively towards their own goal or are there tactical takeaways that we can work on with our own teams? So I break that down, feel free, jump on, take a look, let me know what you think, modernsoccercoach.com slash community to find out more information. There's also a special offer on the modernsoccercoach.com slash shop where you can get an annual pass and a free Modern Soccer Coach book of your choice. Please check it out, modernsoccercoach.com. Here is Nick. Enjoy. Monty, thanks so much for joining me. Tonight, your time on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really excited to have you on. No worries, guys. It's uh, it's good to be on. Sheffield United legend in a team that epitomized, at a time as well, an era that probably epitomized work ethic, spirit. I saw this at the weekend and thought, I need to get your thoughts on this here. So Chris Weiler's response after the game on Sunday where the The interviewer was trying to prompt him and basically, you must be happy and proud of the work rate and commitment of the players. And he kind of refused to compliment his players on that there and instead went in a different direction where he lamented individual mistakes, talked about standards. It's been a discussion amongst our coaching staff over here how a player in the changing room reacts to that and, and you would be closer to most. So what's your take on it?
1: Look, in terms of Chrisy Wilder, um, you know when I signed there as a as a player, was 16 years old, uh, he was in the first team. So um, I've known Chrisy for a long time, and I think you know he definitely has some characteristics similar to Neil Warnock. I think he's created a culture where he demands hard work and, and the players to give everything on the pitch as a minimum. So I think he'll be disappointed in the home form because obviously, back in the Premier League, you know they know they need to win some home games. Um, so, yeah, look, he'll be disappointed with that, um, as they've played really well in in, in the home games so far. Um, but, look, a few errors at the back have cost you know, have cost goals and uh, ultimately chances missed at the other end uh, have, have cost points in terms of winning games or or picking up points. Um, but, look, he's, he's not there to make the numbers up and he's an honest guy. And I think the players respect that uh, when you talk about, you know Neil Warnock and the spirit we had. I think you know Chris is very similar to that. He, uh, you know, he doesn't hold grudges, and you know I think the players respect the fact that you know he, he demands so much of them because you know they're they're all desperate to to make a success this year in the Premier League. So I think as a player, um, you know, the players in the dressing room, and you know, a good friend of mine, Billy Sharp, uh, obviously the captain this season. Um, you know, uh, I've I've spoke to him quite a lot on... Um I think that yeah, I th- I think as a player you'll take it out on the chin and, and, and it's an honest uh, reflection that they need to cut out the little mistakes, um, both ends of the pitch and if they can do that, I think the, the 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 wins will definitely start coming and they're the points that you need to keep you in the Premier League.
0: They're a brilliant team to watch and um, you know when they when they play these days they have this mix of the, you said there are these old school values, but then there's these tactical innovations with the Sheffield United team how do you think chris has done that and how much do you enjoy watching this brand of Sheffield united
1: yeah look i left uh you know i
0: left the club 7
1: years ago and i you know i've been over here the other side of the world you know a club that i spent 14 years at you know it's always close to my thoughts and you know i've always followed them ever since i uh you know i came over here i'd watch the i the games on live stream you know even when they're in league 1 uh obviously the championship as well and i just love watching them you know i think what What Chris has done, you know, with the centre backs and midfielders overlapping in the wide areas and, you know, creating them overloads, which most teams, you know, even Liverpool on the weekend, struggled to cope with. Um, I think his tactics have have been really innovative. And, you know, when players go to overlap, he's got other players that will identify that and sit in and and cover. So it's actually a a really well drilled team. Um, And I just think. Look, I think he's done it. Um, you know, he's created a really good culture at the club, um, and I think culture is a word that's it's thrown around quite often. Um, you know, and I just think that what he's done there just reminds me of what we had back in the day, and the spirit and togetherness of the club, uh, the cup runs that we had. Um, you know, the triple assault the season we got to the uh, the playoff final, the the league cup final, and the FA cup, uh, sorry the league cup semi final. Uh, and the FA Cup semi-final, and uh, we failed in all of them. So um, I think that was, uh, you know, uh, what he's done there is he's, he's really recreated that 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 culture, um, and um, I just think you know watching him play is exciting because you got some top analysts and, and coaches in the world. You know, they're trying to pick out you know how the centre backs overlap, and um, it's just been it's just been fascinating really to see that. You know, um, you know my old club, uh, my club. Talked about so much, uh, you know, uh, since uh, since his Premier League season started.
0: This this culture element, it, for me, it seems that the the difficulty in the top level football has been almost this old and new because the old culture of or not old culture but old values are still very very much have importance today. Playing for Neil Warnock, who has done both, worked at the old school. Uh, has also you know still working in the Premier League today, how is he balanced holding players accountable yet almost connecting with this new brand of player and inspiring them to play for him?
1: yeah I think that's a really important thing you speak about there and you know in terms of neil you know the way to describe him was for me it was a bit of a crazy genius you know he really knew how to get the best out of everybody and and whether you're seventeen years old, you know just starting your career or whether you're thirty seven coming towards the end, uh, it'd sort of work out what made you tick um, and he'd it, and play on it. And when I look back, I see that, you know, that the fact that we had quite a few older players at the time, you know, the time when myself, Phil Jagielka, Michael Tong broke into the first team. You know, we had some old players like Wayne Allison, who'd been around the block, uh, Paul Pesca Salido, you know, just to name a few. Um, and a lot of these the guys they didn't live in Sheffield, you know. They travelled from from say Nottingham, Derby, you know. Some from London, Um and you know he'd know that their families would live down in London. The kids were at school, so you know after he won a game, he'd he'd give them an extra day off, and it just became normal, you know. And as a young player, you'd see. You'd see that that was happening, and you know you'd actually be happy for the older boys to go and spend the day with the family. And I think that's been lost a little bit in football now. It's you know for me, it's you have to train every single day, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. But I just think he's man management, you know, and again, people talk about man management, but the way that he managed the group as individuals, you know, because realistically, it is a group of individuals, and everybody's in a different, you know, a different situation, and um, you know the fact that. And I look back, the way he did that was 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 genius. And you know, tactically, um, you know, you don't have to be, you know, well, you can be the best best tactician and best coach in the world, but if the players don't like you and they don't want to run for you out on the pitch, then I think it's very, very difficult. And it doesn't matter where he's been, you know, he's he's always seemed to find that uh, that balance. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, an interesting time playing for Neil, and something I look back on with great memories.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating because you have this guy who understands people from what you're saying and understands people's situations and is almost empathetic to their home situation or their age bracket or whatever it is because he doesn't come across as a really communicative person in terms of personal in personal relationships. Was he like that or is it, there's this through observation or sitting being calculated about it or how does he do it?
1: He's quite funny, like he used to you know he used to take the Mickey out of the players a lot of the times, and um yeah he just had this way about him of you know when it was business, it was business, but you know you could dispel a you know stressful situation um uh, you know by by taking the Mickey out of someone or cracking jokes, but then you know when the time came and it was up to, down to business, it was you know you know he he knew that he'd have players out there that would run through brick walls for him you know as as the old saying goes. I think he created that because, um, again, if there's anyone that didn't buy into it to the culture and what he was trying to do, you know, he had an amazing way of getting rid of him. You know, I always remember this, uh, the time we signed Barry Hales from Fulham. Um, you know, good goal scorer, really nice guy, but not long after we brought him in, um, you could see that he didn't really fit uh, the way that we wanted to play. Obviously, he was direct. You know, successful direct, um, and Barry was. He didn't really fit into that. Um, I remember we uh, we arrived at Millwall, um, and uh, as we walked in in the hotel, Dennis Wise was sitting in reception, um, and then it turns out the day after. I mean, the boys used to laugh about it, but I think the day after uh, what had happened is we'd arrived down in Millwall, and, and Neil rang rang Barry in his room and said, "Oh, Barry, can you can just come down to you know come down to reception. Uh, Dennis Wise wants to speak to you." So, look, he sort of obviously organised that already. Um, but you know, without any uh, any hassle, um, you know, we took we we took the team down to London, and I think Barry signed for Millwall the next day. So he just had this, um, you know, a smart smart way of dealing with situations that didn't really affect the team environment. And like I said, these are all little things that I picked up, and I look back on now and just think, wow, you know, what a what a smart guy.
0: Sometimes in the I get carried away. This a lot the modernization almost of leadership where you're. Reading a book on Harvard, Harvard Business Review, and you're like, these concepts seem that they're new and unique. But that's that's ruthlessness of decision. But that's also being able to stand by signing. How many how many coaches would have stood by the player because they've signed them in the first place? And maybe their ego's too big. He he obviously doesn't.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like you said, you know there, there was look. He could manage egos. He could manage you know um people low on confidence high on confidence you know and that again we just talk about man man management side of it and for me um you know the fact that he's he's had so many clubs promoted you know probably more than 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 any manager in England and i think what three or four now he's had promoted to the premier league which you know the championship is the hardest league in the world no doubt there's such a, a large prize at the end of it and I think when he's been promoted, he doesn't seem to spend much money, and unfortunately, you know, he's he's been relegated, um, you know, after one, one or two seasons, um, most of the time. And I just look back to when we got promoted uh, that that season, two thousand and six seven, and I think ten points. Uh, we were ten points, uh, you know, uh, in in the good towards the end of the season. We'd beaten West Ham three 0 at home, and I just remember thinking, oh, we will be, you know, we'll stay in the Premier League, and then. Uh, you know, the the whole uh, Carlos Tevez affair happened and um, it just seemed to spiral um, every week. Uh, you know, Rob Hulse, top goal scorer uh, for us, I think he scored 10 goals that season in the Premier League and he broke his leg at Chelsea. And I just felt that like if the club would have invested a bit more money, um, it would have brought another striker in. I think, you know, going down by one goal, goal difference, uh, or by unfairly with the whole Tevez uh Mash or third-party ownership. It was. Uh, I think it would have stayed up that season. Um, you know, for me, I think we'd have we'd have built on that and could have had a good few years in the Premier League.
0: Yeah, staying on the environment and the culture aspect. So, whenever again, it's easy. It's easier to get carried away. Or now, for for a non, Sheffield United fan or observer to watch them play because they're playing in the they're in the shop window. Worldwide footballs, watching them, and and they're they're absolutely brilliant to watch. But they've they have produced talents over the years with Kyle Walker, Gary Cahill, Harry Maguire. So, what was it specifically about the environment at the club over the years that has accelerated the development of those types of players?
1: Yeah, I mean, look at the players you mentioned there. I just think the academy uh, um, at Sheffield United has is, is been renowned for producing top players and. For me, you know, when I look back on the coaches that we had at the time, and you know, the likes of Steve Miles, uh, someone I've kept in touch with, is now over in America. Actually, uh, you may have come across him. Russell Slade, uh, Ron Reed, Kevin Fogg, You know, these are back in the day sort of coaches that were they were around. Um, and I think these were coaches that taught us values and discipline and demanded high standards all the time. Um, you know, the sessions were high intensity and enjoyable, and for so the you know the facts were if you didn't train well in the week you didn't play in the weekend and for me it's not hard to see why a lot of players came through the system there because that were the standards that were set um within the academy and you know you mentioned Carl Walker Harry Maguire um you know th- these sort of players and I think the two players there Carl Walker and Harry Maguire in Australian dollars you're talking 160 million dollars worth of, of transfer fees and that's to mention a few you know Phil Jagielka um there's so many that have that have come through um and you know for me that's now I'm coaching I look back on them coaches and you know I think they're a bit of a dying breed and that's something I try and implement in my coaching and you know the whole discipline side of it and and demanding from the players I think without that it's it's hard to you know it's hard to really develop young players and and, and you know mentally prepare them for you know
0: playing at the top level. Following your playing days you've you've now taken on coaching and management roles. so what have you learned from I suppose the offices or the boardroom that have helped your coaching as well? so obviously you've got the past of your your influences on the pitch. Is there anything off the pitch that, that you're starting to pick up on?
1: Yeah, I mean, like you say, I, when I finished playing, I, I decided to take a, a head of football role at the club, which was a new role. And then I was also coaching the under 16 team. So for me, I felt it was a good way to transition after a 20 year playing career. um, Look, you know, I knew it was going to be hard um, in terms of making that transition. So sort of throwing myself into something. um, And I really wanted to find out how the club operated and and sort of use my global contacts to try and create some partnerships with clubs overseas. Um, You know, I've contacts in Hong Kong, Malta, obviously England. Um, and I just felt like coaching the under-16 team, for me, it was a good start to prepare. Um, you know, because I think the challenges you face when, you, when you're taking a group of uh, testosterone-filled young footballers um, can, can teach you a lot. So, I learned a lot about preparing, um, you know, match days and speaking to agents and the corporate world. And I think all that stuff, when you become a, a manager down the line, you need to be able to manage people and, and you know, understand what goes on behind the scenes. Because... I think as a player, and I was guilty of this, that, you know, for 20 years, everything's done for you. You know, coaches are there, flights are there, um, you know, here's when you when your meals are, all that stuff, you don't really see what goes on in the background, but you expect it, um, you know. And I just think actually stepping back and seeing the people that deal with all that stuff um, and having a, a hand in all the logistics, um, for me, it was quite interesting. And, and I just think, you know, Whatever I go into, and hopefully I will get a, you know a good job down the line. I'll I un, I'll actually understand what goes on because I think uh, you know, especially at the top level, it's it's astronomical the amount of uh, organising that goes into to training and match days. So yeah, it was really really interesting.
0: Yeah, so when you went to Australia, obviously there must have been massive changes in culture, and we've in this podcast we've I told you there last week, but when we were chatting, we've covered. So many cultures around the world. We've never looked at at the Western Hemisphere. We've never looked at Australia. What what changes did you find in that culture from a from a football club comparison?
1: Oh, look, I think everybody wants to play in England. And for me, it's a you know it's a pinnacle of of, of football. Um, the fans are so passionate there, and uh, I always say when people ask me here, I always answer the question. Though, imagine you work all week, um, you know, in a job where. You know, you're probably not paid massive amounts of money, and your weekend is purely made by you know your team winning or losing on the weekend. And if you win, you're happy. If you lose, you know your whole week's uh, been ruined. And you know that's a passion that I think that the, the, the fans you know get in England, whereas over here there's a lot less pressure. Um, you know, the fans go to the games with the families to enjoy the day. Um, so it's it's very different in in, in that aspect. Um, and again, they have so many sports here that they're spoiled with with so many sports. So, you know, they sort of got the cricket, the the rugby, the AFL. Um, you know, uh, just so many sports. So it's it's not that pressure environment that that you get in England. Um, and in terms of playing, because there's you know there's only twenty seven league games, you're training a lot more. So obviously in England in Europe, you're playing two three games a week. Over here, it's sort of one game a week. So. The week's a lot longer there 's a lot more training um I think that was that's that was a big uh, you know a big thing for me because I just love the games you know waiting you know waiting a week for the next game um you know was uh, was always something that I found pretty strange um but look uh, you know I moved out here seven years ago and you know the first season I was here we won the grand final and Played in the Asian Champions League, so I, you know, I really enjoyed my time playing out here. But it's it's very different. Uh, yeah, it's very different in terms of um, you know the the way it is in England. But it's uh, like I said, it's it's a really good place to play football.
0: So on that, because our complaint here, I suppose, of the coaching community in the in the US is this. The pro- promotion relegation and how much this is impacting development of players, or just basically to watch the league in general, the entertainment of the league. You've you mentioned there that the one game a week just takes away a little bit of, I don't know, a little bit of bite there, a little bit of competitiveness, maybe. Is, is that a challenge then when it comes to youth development in Australia?
1: Yeah, look. You, I mean, look. You just mentioned then about over here. You know, there is no promotion relegation. There's there's actually eleven teams this season. Next team next season, there's twelve teams in the A League. So, in terms of the relegation promotion, um, you know, it the league's in its infancy. It's what fourteen years old now. So, again, with that becomes a lot less pressure. Even playing at the top level in in the top clubs. So, um, you know that that's you know that that's one of the challenges i think of, of players coming going from here overseas because you know they're not used to that that real pressure where you lose a game and you're in the relegation you know or you're fighting for promotion so i think that's something uh, again which which hampers you know australian players down the line um, but there are so many challenges in in the youth space here um, you know for instance if you want to sign a young player uh, over here at a club unless they live in your area obviously they've got to come from interstate um, you know uh, Melbourne, Sydney um, Adelaide for instance you, you find a young player there to actually bring them into the academy uh, they have to pay for their own accommodation they have to find a job um, it's not like in England where you get signed to an academy and they pay for your food your accommodation so these are all the challenges that, that you're faced with Um so you know, in terms of actually finding the best talent from around the country, it's uh, you can do that, but logistically getting them to move to to your area and and to commit to you know giving everything and and virtually working every day after after training to to pay for their own accommodation, it's not easy. Um, I do say that the kids have it really easy here, so to get them to commit to doing that, um, you know, is is something that. I've struggled with uh, in this role this this season coaching the academy kids, um, and not only that, the, the parents have to pay for the kids to be in the academy. So it's uh, you know it's definitely very different.
0: I I never knew that one at all. So basically, they can't you can't take a player from a different region, move them over, pay them. So that then limits your recruitment to a local or a two or three hour catchment area.
1: Yeah, well, again, local. You're talking local. We know we live in a region where there's three hundred thousand people here. Whereas you go to to Sydney, mm-hmm. and obviously the the two big clubs in Sydney, uh, you know they get the pick of of all the best kids there. So, you know, if you do want someone from Sydney, they've got to commit to traveling down every day. Um, obviously I have to have a car and transport. So, you know, these these are all the, the challenges you know that 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 you face. Even the fact the parents pay for them to be in academies, um again it's a rich man's sport you know is that is that you know i always wonder how many talented kids don't actually come into to league club environments because their parents can't afford it um and there was a study i think that afl um take a lot of sort of the aboriginal descent really af- athletic players at a young age give them scholarships and you know a lot of them go on to play afl which is a you know a crazy sport but they're super fit athletes um and I often think, you know, maybe if an an league club had somehow got, you know, two or three of them athletes at a young age and brought them into the right environment, you know, you could have some some top class players. So there's lots of, uh, like I said, there's there's so many different challenges here. Um, even the fact when kids get to 21 years old, if they're not in your A League 22 man roster, then you have to either release them or you have to give them an A League contract and it's a minimum wage uh, requirement organised by the PFA and the FFA, and clubs can't justify paying paying young players the sort of salaries they that they ask when they've not, uh, you know, they've not played first team football. So, <laughs> again, it's uh, it's took me probably seven years to get my head around it, but there's definitely a lot of challenges here.
0: Similarities, I think, between some aspects of the, not MLS, but maybe USL, it's almost the opposite then of England where their complaint that the Premier League is that kids are getting too much too soon and for those players that you're trying to, maybe late developers, you're trying to keep them in the system a bit longer and it's hard to do that then in in Australia, is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, that's what I'm saying guys, it's, like you said, you get, you know, you only have, as an A-League manager here, you only have 22 or 23 spots that you can fill Um, and again, once you get over twenty one, unless you have an early contract, then then the players have to be released. And in terms of the development, I, I think players here are underdeveloped compared compared to the rest of the world because they don't play as much football when they're younger. Um, you know, the only time they really start getting into a, a full time program is at the early clubs. Um, so in terms of the the gym and the the S and C work, uh, for me, the, the kids are behind. So. You know, you have to get them in the system full-time and and try and get them to catch up. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the the uh, players back in the day, Varduka, Harry Kuehl, you know, for, for two examples who sort of moved away from Australia at a young age. Um, I think now there's only really Aaron Moy and and, and a goalkeeper I played with him, Matt Ryan at Brighton, um, sort of really playing uh, in the Premier League. Um, and a lot of the players, uh, you know, a lot of the players that have been in Australia and left the last couple of years have all you know mostly ended up back in the A League because they've struggled to cope with the demands of playing outside of the
0: country. Where do you see then the the advantages then for for youth development aside from the climate? Obviously, where do you see the advantages of, of youth development in Australia that maybe aren't accessible to players in England?
1: Ah, look, like you said, apart from the weather, I think the weather's a big factor.
0: Mm. Uh, you know
1: actually being out and, and being able to coach on the grass you know without um you know bad rain or, or freezing cold temperatures, I think players are really lucky here because you can spend more time with them um I think you know uh, at a young age you know being out on the grass and you know double sessions and, and and like you said not you know being able to stand around afterwards and talk about it and um you know discuss the coaching points I think that's a a real plus um but yeah, probably. Uh, like I said, uh, the less pressure environment at a younger age helps. Um, but I think as you get to around eighteen onwards, it's probably another negative thing from here because they don't really understand the pressure and, um, you know, uh, for me that 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 pressure and competitiveness and that really helps to to, to lift you up to another
0: level. Mm. You mentioned there before about athletes. And, uh, I cannot wait to ask this question <laughs> <to> <laughs> over here I even heard it I was in a restaurant a couple of weeks ago and if these two guys talking about you know soccer on the TV if our best players play the game we would win the World Cup and you get it all the time but there's no better analogy in the whole world than you see in Bolt and he played with, with your team guys you would not believe how many <laughs>
1: texts and phone calls I had around that time but Look, it was it, look, it was crazy to think that you know I'm fresh into at coaching um, at a professional level and not long out of playing, and I'm you know I'm tasked with uh, helping one of the world's greatest athletes to try and transition into a new sport. So uh, you know it was huge media all over the world, and the owner uh, at the club here, a guy called Mike Charles, he's he's always looking for sort of innovative ways to to help the game grow. Um, uh, and look, Usain was a really good guy, and and, and he was just human, like every, like all of us. So I think to go from being a sprinter, um, you know, to to a to a footballer was was always a, a tough ask. And I think, you know, like you said, the guys talking there about the best athletes, and I think maybe that's true if you got them at a young age and they went into, you know, the children's sport. In which case, we're talking about football, but you're talking a guy that's been sprinting, um, all his life, and then you're trying to change. Totally, the way that he moves, and and look, anyone knows anything about football, especially at a high level, um, it's it's fast tempo, it's change of direction, it's you know, it's contact, you know, sprinting. There's no con- there's no contact in sprinting, whereas when you're playing football, people are knocking into you, you're getting fouled, you know, you're holding players off. There's there's so much you you probably don't think about, um, but I mean, at the high level, it's it's you know, it, it it's a complex skill set um so for me a lot of the skills that you learn as a kid when you're growing up on the streets playing football or you know at uh, uh, youth football they really prepare you for you know for for the professional level and for someone like you saying to to go into a completely different sport um and tries look at uh, at the highest level over here was you know it was a tough ass but uh, you know i respect him for for making, you know, m- making the effort to do it, but I think it was, uh, it was always going to be uh, a-, a tough ask.
0: Yeah, I, I just don't know how, as a coach, you don't, you, you pull yourself back from, from just the humor of saying, right, let's knock it over the top and use your space together.
1: <laughs> don't worry, them, <laughs> them discussions were, you know, look, the guy, the guy, he, he, I mean, he's a phenomenal athlete. He's about six foot, you know, six. He's foot huge, seven. isn't he? Yeah, he, he's huge. a, yeah, he's an absolute monster. Um, and, and again, you know, if you stood on the halfway line, you, you knocked it over the top and he sprinted onto it, you know. But when you look at his sprinting, you know, and, look, I spent time... One thing I did is I spent time with Usain talking to him and picking his brain on, you know, what it took to become one of the best athletes in the world. And although a lot of, you know, he had a lot of natural talent in, in the way he was built, um, I think his, his mindset... And I've never come across somebody so confident. Um, you know, he's just whatever he puts his mind to he believes that he can do it and you know he maybe didn't make it professionally over here but in the short space of time that, that he was here um, he worked hard every day uh, you know we had to change stuff just as simple as his technique of of kicking the ball where his standing foot was and you know he picked up things so quickly um, and you know he went on to score two goals against a semi-pro team and Plays that I'd played professionally before, so it wasn't easy to do. Um, you know, but I think after he did that, he was, you know, in his mind he's going to move on, and I think he's a music producer now.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. That's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, all right, Mick Phelan came over to do some work with you with the Central Coast Mariners before he rejoined the staff at United. So you know, with, with so with his experience and was so long with Sir Alex, were there any aspects of that United culture that he tried to bring to the Central Coast?
1: Look to have some like my feeling, you know, coming
0: coming and working at the club alongside you for me
1: was you know was fantastic. Um, you know, we're talking about someone that has seen it and done it as a as a player at Man United firstly, and then you know to be right hand man to Sir Alex, like you just mentioned, is is phenomenal. And look, when he was here, I spent as much time with him as as possible, and I'd pick his brain and, and listen to his stories about the glory years and and developing the class of ninety two. Um, you know, stuff that I really wanted to to talk to him about and. I think someone like Mike is is so knowledge, knowledgeable, he's probably forgotten <laughs> more than most people in football will ever know. But he's a really humble guy and he'll give time to anybody. So, you know, the time he spent here, what we've discussed already, I think it took him a while to really get his head around, uh, you know, the rules and regs here and, and the whole youth development. Because for someone like him coming from, you know, the biggest club in the world, You really, you know, to to get your head around, like you said, the challenges that we spoke about, um, it was for him quite frustrating as well. Um, So, yeah, it was, you know, like it was a really good experience for me uh, just going into coaching to be able to have someone like him as a mentor. And I still speak to Mike, uh, you know, quite often. And, um, you know, I'm pretty lucky in that aspect of, of people that I've come across throughout my career that... I can call on uh, if I want any advice. So, yeah, it was uh, you know it, it was uh, a brilliant time.
0: You spent a few days with, with him and Ole and the staff and the team during their preseason this year in Perth. So, well, you can't give too much away. But what specific things did you enjoy from from this United environment? Oh, look
1: for for me to to be invited in by Mike to spend a couple of days, uh, you know, in, in the inner sanctum of of the biggest club in the world. I, you know, it was a real privilege. And um, just seeing, really, really, guys, just seeing how big the club is and, and the pressure that they deal with every day was just was eye opening. And you know, for someone like myself, who'd been fortunate to to, to play in the Premier League, um, you know, to actually go to a club, um, you know, with the stature of Man United and see what goes on in the background was. Was unbelievable. Um, you know, uh, to spend time speaking to Mike and Ollie and 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 Kieran, McKenna, the assistant coach, and Michael Carrick, it was uh, you know it was it was a bit surreal at times. But um, for me, just going into coaching again to be able to 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 pick the brain of of some top class football people was uh, you know was for me really beneficial. And I came away from from that um, you know with some really good ideas and. Just sort of, you know, um, just just understanding of or, you know of what goes on there. So yeah, it was, you know, they have the same problems as as every club, and you know, at the time, players wanting to leave and, and injuries to key players, which again, you know, impacts your daily planning and um, you know, exercises like that um, have really helped me
0: grow as a person the commercial engine that around manchester united is just is that is that the challenge or not not the challenge but one of the biggest challenges then of managing at, at that club is just dealing with i suppose fan bases money having to appease owners to travel to different areas and do all that stuff
1: honestly guys it was crazy like you know like i said i was lucky i stayed in in the team hotel and and in around the plays and stuff but just getting out of the lift, it was just thousands of screaming fans every morning just to mm. go to training, and you're talking put. You know, this was in Perth, which um, is pretty isolated to to everywhere, and um, I think you know seeing that, uh, you know, I dread to think what happens when they go to China and and, and these places where it's just uh, it's just mayhem. Um, but look, you talk about. The pressure and, and stuff that, that that they're under, it's Manchester United, everyone expects them to win every week. So, um, one thing Mike did say to me, which I always remember, is, look, it's Manchester United. You know, if you don't win the game, there's pressure and, and, and the fans demand results. Um, but I think everyone, you know, everyone that knows football can sit back and actually see that they're in a transition period now where players have left, they've got a really young squad, some very, very good young players, um... Talk about Greenwood, you know he's he, he's a massive talent. Um, you know Harry Maguire just just going in there as well um, to, to you know to, to to really start building a squad and you know I think it'll it'll take time. It's not going to be an overnight uh, fix, but I think the right people are, are there and they just need to need to get to January and, and and bring in some players to replace some of the big names that they lost.
0: You're going back to the UK for your pro license, so how's that experience been and and what are you what are you trying to get out of it personally?
1: Look when I uh, when I finished playing uh my, my aim was to get the pro licence. Uh, I'd already done the UA for B and A licence um and again, you know, met some really good people on on the course. Um so, you know to get the pro license is is, is you know is a, is the top badge you can get uh, and allows you to manage and coach anywhere in the world. So um, I set myself the target of getting the UA for a pro license, and it's been a real learning experience. Um, like I said, I've met a lot of good people on the way, um, and you know, uh, like for me, it's it's about growing as a person and as a coach. And I think the pro license is more you know learning about um, how to manage people and situations and. I feel like I've had a, you know, I've had a good experience of that already. Uh, that sort of prepared me for it, um, and you know, um, working on like a, a PDP at the minute, which is a professional development plan, and that's sort of where you are now, where you want to be, and really setting yourself goals and, and targets. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's um, you know, there's not that much coaching in in the pro license. It's it's, it's very hard to get on, um, but I think it's it's more preparing you for if you get uh, a managing job down the line, um, you know. And like I said, it's it's just a you know it's it's a fantastic uh, experience.
0: Yeah, the continuing CPD events that they, they set up throughout the year in the pro license, and they bring people yeah. exposure to it. It just looks amazing that the people that you can get access to. Uh, w- what stood out for you so far in that respect?
1: Look, I'm really into the sports psychology, and um, you know, they the people that come in and they create scenarios. And would you do this? Would you do that? And it's, I think, being in football uh, a long time, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, situations. You know, some go right, some go horribly wrong. Um, and and I just think, personally, sometimes there's no right or wrong answer um, to the questions, but it's how you deal with it and deal with the people around it Um, but there's so many interesting people you know on on the last course there was uh, Stan Petrov um, who I got on really well with um, you know, obviously, a fantastic uh, player at Celtic and and Villa. Uh, he's had his own personal um, health issues that were well publicised. But you know, to be able to tap into the minds of of these guys as well and other coaches that haven't played the game, um, that have really good ideas. Um, you know, I see myself as someone with a growth mindset. I like to, you know, change what I'm, you know, what I'm thinking daily at times. Um, you know, when you see other coaches do things pick things up and, and and adapt them to you know to your philosophy and the way you want to play and um yeah it's again it's you know you have to be on the course to to sort of understand um some of the inspiring stories that you hear and um you know when you actually get up there and you're speaking in front of a group of coaches that all have their own ideas um it's uh you know, sometimes it's overwhelming, but um, you know, there's some big personalities, and, and like I said, it's it's really good that y- you get the opportunity to to learn and grow and 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 take stuff on board um, and, and receive you know uh, uh, constructive criticism at times in in terms of some of the stuff you do, because for me, that's that's the things that really help you um, take a step back and and think about um, you know how you want to coach and. Um how you you know, how you manage certain situations and, and prepare for stuff that, that may happen in the future.
0: Last one for you. You do work with the men's grassroots mental health organization, Mr. Perfect, in Australia. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so um look, when I moved out to Australia a guy called Terry Cornick um connected with me um, and just sort of said you know, I'd love you to um have a coffee with you and, and talk to you about um you know, men's health organisation I'm just setting up. Um obviously, you know, coming from England and playing playing there for a long time, it's you know, it's massively publicised now, but um you know, I saw a lot of uh, players really struggle with, with mental health issues and you know, I was uh you know I played with Gary Speed, um, you know, he was my coach um as well and, and manager. Uh, obviously, everyone knows that 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 speedo took his own life. And looking, you know, looking back, he's someone that you think would never have, you know, never have an issue. He's a he was a top guy. He was clever. He was one of the best footballers ever to to grace the Premier League. And I think it's you know it really shook me that that can happen to 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 someone like him. Um, I think over the last couple of years, it's it's you know it's become acceptable now that men can ask for help. And um, for me. Uh, you know i've had tough times since I, I finished playing and i can see why a lot of players struggle because you know sort of being institutionalized for a long time and then taken out of that it's it's uh you know it's it's a pretty overwhelming situation at times and you know i remember the first time i i sort of finished uh finished up playing and i thought wow you know i've just retired um you know i'm gonna get into coaching you know it's going to be easy and after a couple of weeks i was you know i was I remember sitting down and saying to my wife, "Wow, like I'm, I'm actually really struggling." You know, just working on a laptop, creating a presentation. To me, that was was I missed that generation, and all the coaches were doing that. And um, uh, for me, like I said, I've I've seen so many players struggle, and you know, I've got you know, uh, you know, players like Lee Hendry that I played with and tried to commit suicide, and it's just so many, uh, so many examples and something that I'm passionate about so for me to become an ambassador of of uh, the Mr Perfect organization was was something I'm really proud that I'm I'm involved in and it it creates uh, sort of barbecues monthly meetups for 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 guys all over um, it's on the central coast now in sydney um, I think it's in a few different states and um, you know to hear some of the stories when you go down to the to the to the nights where they get everybody together is it's quite inspiring, um, and yeah, it's it's like I said, it's something that's close to my heart. Um, I don't spend as much time as I'd like to um, doing it, but um, yeah, it's it's a really good uh, it's a really good organisation, and it's helped a lot of people. So it's one thing that, like I say that I'm that I'm proud that I can be involved in.
0: Uh, brilliant! So it's it's great today that that there is more, I suppose, more awareness, obviously, but there also is more of a comfort level that people can talk about the the difficult mental issues in the game because sometimes i think you know as a as a non professional player it, it looks as if we sometimes tarnish the money aspect of it well they get paid x amount of money you know that you hear this all the time in in just the general public they should be able to deal with it but i do find the the transition that you spoke about that must be so difficult because it's such a so football's a social game and, and regardless of coming out of your element of finances are coming out of your element and spotlight The sheer surrounding yourself with a community of people and taking then just going from 100 to zero must be so difficult for professional footballers
1: oh definitely guys and i think like you said
0: you,
1: you know that you've sort of played under that pressure and uh, at a high level for so long you know not not just at high level lower levels as well um but still you know you like i said that institution lies where you know, your whole day and, and week and months and and season is is all um you know is all on a schedule and then you come out of that and it's like I say, it's overwhelming and the money's you know uh, the 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 guys are earn, earn, the and the you know huge amounts of money that doesn't make again that doesn't prevent you from becoming ill or you know from having the same stresses and and pressures that everybody has um so yeah it's like I said it's you know, the suicide rate in men is, is is huge. Um and again it's something that's really only been documented the last couple of years and um like you say, it's good that, you know, there is support and the PFA here and in, in, in England and, and probably all over the world, you know, they provide services now for from grassroots all the way to professional for you know, for, for guys that 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 need to talk to somebody. Um and again, I think at the end of the day guys football is just a game. Um and and what comes with that is you know is is every week is all this um, this hype and, and and excitement that that we have all over the world. Uh, it's a beautiful game, but uh, you know there is a dark side to to everything in in life. And I think you know again being in coaching yourself and uh, and myself, it's something that you know you have to be aware of. And the man managing side of it is you know it, for me is key to, to to looking after your players that you work with and, and making sure they're okay. Mm. For sure, for sure,
0: brilliant. Okay, bonus round for you. Best player played with.
1: Oh, well, you know what? I'd say Michael Tong. You know, for me, he's one of our best mates. But in terms of a, an actual player with a football brain, like his his football brain was phenomenal. And I remember when he burst into the first team at Sheffield uh, You'll probably remember him. You know, scored the two goals against Liverpool when we beat them in the in the semi final at Bramall Lane, and moved on to Stoke. Um, but I think. Yeah, for me as a young player, um, just his vision and his passing. Um, he could run all day, and yeah, he, he was, you know, in terms of a football player and someone that I played with, and, and uh, you know, for me, he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was exceptional. And then the best player played against. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I had some good battles with Patrick Vieira, Stevie Gerrard. Um, oh. Yeah, to be honest, I I would probably say Stevie G. Um the way he got around the pitch. Um, you know, I could run all day, but the way he strode around the pitch and I uh, just remember just, just the way, the way he side footed the ball, 30, 40, 50 meters with ease was just you know, was 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 <laughs> was amazing. But yeah, what what a top class player and um, you know, he just made the he made the game look look so easy. Um I'd have to I'd have to chuck in Skullsey as well there because <laughs> um playing against him at Old Trafford, um he just literally popped up everywhere and you couldn't get anywhere near him so um yeah i was uh i was fortunate i played against some uh oh, some good players two two different players there and at schools and Gerard, like two
0: geniuses but different oh, totally yeah. different yeah mm. totally
1: different but again both of them could uh you could win any move. game on the day
0: brilliant well thank you so much we appreciate you uh staying up late tonight and, and getting you on here it's been absolutely brilliant and Hopefully we'll we'll get you on soon. I'd love to do a little bit more on the on the Australian game and then your your journey as well with the pro license.
1: Really appreciate, it, guys. it's, uh, it's been great to talk. Um, and yeah, anytime anytime you want to chat, just give me a shout.
0: Thanks so much to Nick for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. The big takeaway from me there, not for the first time in these podcasts, is the importance of being open minded. And I'll go into a couple of specifics here exactly why and where that what comes into Nick's journey and his, and his conversation there. First of all, from a personal perspective, I had always dismissed Neil Warnock as a type of coach that wasn't very progressive and wasn't very relationship based. And to hear a perspective not from a newspaper article or an, or something on Twitter, but from a player who played for him and valued what he did for the team and valued what he did for individuals i find that a little bit humbling because it's always good whenever you form an opinion in this game and then you have a conversation with someone who has a better perspective and then your opinion is suddenly not as powerful as you thought it was and it gets changed and i always think the game is very very humbling First of all, for thinking that you have all the answers and then thinking your perspective is actually the correct one. So I enjoyed that there. And then when we moved into the player developments and talking about the constraints on player development... In different cultures and environment. I thought that was really important to be open-minded because there are things that we all have to work through in every culture that we've talked on this podcast. Now this might be climate somewhere, it may be financial limitations, it may be the structure of the league, pay to play, whatever it is. I don't think anyone anywhere has it perfect in any of these cultures and ironically it was Nick that said that the Manchester United face the same problems as everyone else face and I think that goes from first team level right down to youth development. Yes Manchester United have a worldwide brand and facilities and budgets etc etc but they also have a level of competition, a level of pressure and demands that none of us are facing anything near that there. So the key instead of lamenting our own situation therefore must be To find a way being open-minded approaching the challenges with a focus on solutions as opposed to complaining and looking at what we don't have and it's not always easy i have to say but conversations like that there i find very beneficial for coaches at all levels particularly young coaches and some of whom are setting off on a journey where they're looking in their perspective that an ex-pro or someone who has played the game at a high level has an unfair advantage over them is going to get jobs is going to get exposed to better opportunities etc but as nick said there at the end many of those ex-pros are facing their own personal battles there too so nobody has it easy and i think it's important for the coaching community to be open-minded with one another and one another's journey but also to be progressive with your thinking and to be adaptable and flexible with your thinking and then have a focus on these opportunities for our situations and our environments to get better but also for us as individuals to get better that's where i was really impressed with nick's attitude and enthusiasm about the pro license getting to spend time with united and mcphelen getting to spend as much time as he could with those people and learn And, and this is a guy who's been exposed to the premier league environments for you know, over 10 years. So I always find it very, very humbling when someone comes on with an attitude and a drive and jumping on a plane to go and get coach education and get as much exposure as he can to the playing side of it and also the managerial side of it and also the upper level management side of it. So I thought that was great. And like I said, I think it's a great message for young coaches to get out there, get as many opportunities as you can to meet people to build relationships you might not get to spend a couple of days with Manchester United but we said it with mark Spalding on here a few weeks ago you know contacting local teams contacting colleges contacting clubs in your area doesn't have to be a premier league club but getting out and about and getting as much experience as you can for observation meeting people learning more about different cultures within cultures i think is really important so i love that conversation we'd love to hear your thoughts and hopefully that'll start our australian version up we'd love to hear your thoughts at gary Kernine on twitter at gary Kernin on instagram thanks so much for listening i will talk to you next week goodbye thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach Kernin on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com